Welcome aboard the USS Aeronome. To become a member of our crew, please visit perfectorganism.com slash support. As a patron of Perfect Organism, you'll receive exclusive perks and early access to content. Incoming audio transmission received. Please proceed to Subdeck 3 to begin playback. Thank you, and welcome aboard. I think we ought to discuss the bonus situation. Right. Brett and right. I, we think we ought to, we deserve full shares, right? right baby? You see, Mr. Park and I feel that the bonus situation is really good. Move, get out of there. Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm joined by my co-host... Patrick Green, my friend. Hey. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and I'm so excited we have some new voices on the show tonight. I am, too. We're here to talk about Ripley. This is part two of our Ripley series as we wrap up our Forbidden Planet series, which is happening in the 40th anniversary year of Alien. It's been a great year. It's been an just it's actually been an amazing year just everything that we've done everything that we've seen everything that we've talked about who we've talked about meeting up going to the exhibit so much as we walk down that road to wrap up this series tonight we're going to introduce a couple guests and i'm going to introduce patrick's partner micah how you doing micah i'm good how is everyone doing out there we're all good so and Micah is, <laughs> Micah is our contributor from Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. So yeah. those of you who listen to that show, you know very well who she is. And uh, we felt like it was apropos to have her on the show and discuss Ripley. And Patrick's going to introduce our second guest. Uh, a warm welcome to Andy Geek Girl, who's somebody we have wanted to have on the show for a very long time. She's a fixture in fandom and building better worlds. She had a, uh, a, a relatively viral picture recently, which I hope she'll tell us about, um, that we Micah and I still talk about all the time. It's like Love the it. cutest moment we've ever seen in fandom. And uh, we're so excited to have you on, Andy. Hey. Hey, uh, thank you guys for that wonderful welcome. Um, I am ecstatic that you even thought of me for this. So I, uh, I hope I do it justice. Um, I'm very excited to talk about my favorite character. Well, thank you so um, much for coming on. Uh, but by the way, what's this photo we're talking about? I got to know. I think you've seen it. Um, Have I? Yeah, I think Bitch, you I liked tagged you it. in this photo. That's how much I was. That's how <laughs> really? Much photo I, was. Okay. I saved this to my phone. That's well, how someone sent it to me while we're talking. Um, it was oh. a pretty incredible moment. It was the uh, photo of 
Michael Bean at um, at a yes! Comic Con. Okay. Yes. Um, basically, teaching my little Ripley how to use the pulse rifle. Um, it was a completely organic event. I would have. I know. I didn't really give a lot of backstory on that when I, I published it, but. Um, yeah, we went to Comic-Con and I had every intention of my daughters dressing up as Ripley and Newt um, months, probably oh, even a year up, uh, prior to that and um, did not know he was going to be there until maybe a couple weeks before uh, the con. And uh, it was announced uh, then. And so I was like, this is perfect. And I actually talked to him the day before that happened Um and kind of just gave him a little heads up. We talked about the character a little bit. We had a like wonderful conversation. And then the next day I brought my two little little girls and he immediately saw them, um, came around from the back of his table. And then I think he just lit up when he saw this foam, like two-dimensional pulse rifle and um, just got, you know, got down to her level and just basically got went into like full hicks mode and it was incredible that is so How awesome i do not yeah. think that that is amazing that's the fucking cutest thing i've ever seen in my life did you blow up that picture to like life size and oh. frame it because <laughs> i would we I I, would. It, yes and it is <laughs> I'm, I'm getting it like the you know like the canvas prints like it yeah. is going yeah oh yeah. awesome yeah. You need to, uh, to make an actual billboard in your house and then make somehow. it the size of the billboard. Somehow. And then live within that picture. And then live within like, yeah. uplight it. Yeah. Uplight it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I might do all of that. I think, I think I'm going I to. I obviously really like that picture. Uh, yeah. And then it just kind of went, it went like a little mini viral on the internet, which was, you know, unexpected, but. Did you monetize adorable. that shit? I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like social media marketing. It was amazing how many people like didn't know he was still alive or like hadn't seen him in years and you know just loved it. So uh, it was a great little moment. And it's I, also, I mean, it's yeah. I I just couldn't contain myself when it was happening because the entire time I'm like, oh my god, he, this is the scene from the movie. Like it's literally reenacting the movie. So I was like, I couldn't speak. It was great. My kids, like, they've they've seen the abyss, so they know him basically as the bad guy. They <laughs> actually, so they're like, why are you letting him yeah, near us? Exactly. Way? They're like, okay. And um, my older daughter, the the Ripley, uh, basically said, I had no idea what he was saying, but I went along with it because I knew you were loving it, mommy. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> good job. But yeah, but she, um, no, she. They thought it was great, and they loved seeing their face all over the internet. So that is um, awesome. I I, yeah, I, great I feel a play date in the Greens' future. <laughs> yeah, we coming. We coming. We're gonna play in that billboard. Yeah. We can make ours colonial marines. Oh, yeah. yeah. They want to be Mandalorians Build right now. Like yeah. a, a cardboard Hadley's hope. Oh yeah. yeah. How fucking cute is this? And then we'll have Clara's kids join him from Australia. Yes. Oh my god, it's happening. Clara's daughter sends Jude like videos sometimes of like of like the Kenner toys and he'll like send one back and they have this like whole little friendship going so So, all of our kids need to play together and then we're making the sequel the next film which will be starring our children yeah and everyone will love it yeah alien toddlers (laughs) (laughs) so before we begin our 
episode, our full discussion, Andy, I am curious how you became a fan. Uh, when, what was that like? Was it earlier in your childhood? Was it as an adult? Um, I think my story is similar to yours. Uh, I think we're, we're basically the same age, um, having listened to your podcast and uh, just fine. getting your background. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Um, no. No. <laughs> 22. No. Um, so I, <laughs> I first saw my, like you, my introduction was with aliens. Um, and I first saw it was aired on the CBS broadcast and I was at my grandmother's and my cousins and I were all together and my brothers. And, um, I want to say we probably caught it like 15 minutes in. So I didn't see the beginning initially, but I was just blown away. And I'm very much a child of the 80s. So, you know, all those blockbuster films of the 80s and, you know, Top Gun and Indiana Jones and Star Wars. And I, I grew up with all of that. And Aliens just hit me like I, I don't know what. And I knew like I knew all the characters names the second that film end. I knew everyone. And I, I just like lived and breathed it. And then over time, you know, as, you know, as the decades passed, I, it's just, it's meant different things to me as I've reached different stages of my life. Um, but that was definitely my first introduction. And then, of course, I had to go back and watch Alien. Um, and I was terrified, <laughs> terrified. It was definitely scarier uh, than Aliens, but um, I thought it was beautiful and it like stayed with me. And then I will freely admit that, I was one of those people who saw Alien 3 and just hated it. Um, <gasps> well, thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> yeah, 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 well, this has been fun. Hate it, this has hated been fun. is the key word, past tense. Um, I have absolutely turned a corner on that film. Um, but, you know, I saw it still when I was a teen. And, uh, of course, I loved the characters of New and Hicks. And I think that just, I as soon as I saw them being killed off, I think I just tuned it out. Um, immediately. Yeah, immediately. I think I just shut down emotionally and like, was in the theater, like in a, a womb, like just hovering um, in my sadness. But I've, I've come to completely appreciate that film. And I think it's, there's moments, some of the best moments in all of the tri trilogy are in that film. So that's my story. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, it's just my love for it has changed and evolved so much over time. And I'm looking forward to talking about that. So I'm curious, though, in terms of I, I don't want to, like, put anyone in a box in terms of a stereotype, what movies men tend to like, what, what movies women tend to like. There is a generality for sure that women aren't big as big fans of action films. Where do you sit in that sphere in terms of like the Terminator films and other films like that from the eighties, does other films resonate like that? Or is the, the alien series a very specific, like, Oh no, I love this film. And I tend to love other things that aren't like this. Well, so aliens is my absolute fave. Like Ripley is my fave. Uh, Terminator is probably my second favorite, uh, movie. Um, aside from the alien, uh, you know, series, mm -hmm. um, Star Wars, Terminator, Indiana Jones. I am very much an action girl, but with it has to be, and like you always allude to this, both of you, um, they have to have characters that resonate with me. You know, I am, I can't sit through a, a, 
a Transformers movie. I can't sit through a movie that means nothing or just is just mindless action and no heart. Um, so I'm very much attracted to the character first. And then when they're put into these uh, stories of great peril or they have to c overcome these, you know, great uh, obstacles, that's really my MO. That's where I, I, that's my wheelhouse, so to speak. And so, Micah, give us your uh, your background with Alien and the Alien franchise. How'd you get into it? So I, I'm pretty similar in the, in the vein that I grew up living and breathing movies like Star Wars and Indiana Jones. Those those are my absolute like I do not remember a time when I was not absolutely obsessed with Star Wars. Like it's just I feel like I was born loving those movies. The original the original. Um, trio of movies and um sci-fi that is that level of sci-fi is definitely in my blood and has always been um and for alien i remember watching it in high school um with a bunch of friends and we wanted we wanted to be scared we like went down into a friend's basement and we sat and watched this movie and I, i'll have to admit i wasn't paying full attention because it was like a high school thing and we were all like talking and being really obnoxious and half the time like people would leave and go pl like play a stupid game outside but anyway so I rem like the pieces that I remember from that first viewing um like stay with me like I remember for some reason the um um the chains when the alien descends from the ceiling and um, Brett, it's Brett, right? Oh my gosh, I got so self-conscious. I thought I would mess it up. When Brett is taken, it was chilling to me that night. And I remember that scene and like a few select other scenes. Um, I used to always think of how like beautiful and peaceful Ripley and all the others were when they were sleeping in the cryo chambers. It's actually, every time we've seen it since, uh, <laughs> she she talks about how jealous she is of I cryo am. sleep. I am genuinely jealous of it. Like she, she like does not move on from that for the first twenty minutes of the movie. She's like, like doesn't, but doesn't it look so comfortable? It does though, right? Because like, okay, <laughs> brief aside, does. they it is temperature controlled. They're all like, no one has a wrinkle in their forehead. No one's like night, having nightmares or anything. They're just like sleeping in this beautiful pillow pod thing. It looks so amazing. And having two little kids where we, we don't sleep through the night very often, yeah, it's it looks like a dream to be honest. I do it. I agree with that. <laughs> anyway, so yes, I, I saw it in high school and then I kind of left it alone for a few years. And then uh, it was brought again to the surface of my life when I met you. Um, and you made it very clear right away <laughs> that Alien was a part of your life, your favorite thing ever. And so we began to watch them together. And as I like saw the universe expanding when I saw each film... I grew to really attach to different characters in the in the original movies, and um, obviously we'll bring it to the creature. The creature is like we've said it a million times in discussions, and I know you guys have said on the podcast like there's just something indelible about that creature that they were able to make that I just I get so excited every single time it's on the screen, and um, even with the new movies, I love watching the xenomorphs. Um, yeah, and and Ripley um, as a character is just so steadfast in my heart in 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 terms of characters that stay with me when I think about films that truly make me happy. So that's basically how I got into it. I think it's a pretty damn good segue, if I do say so myself, <laughs> uh, into the meat of this episode, which is revisiting Ripley. 
Um, on our previous one, <clears throat> Jamie and I uh, went off the went off the rails a little bit in some very interesting directions that I think laid the groundwork for some future episodes. But um, <laughs> it was funny. We kind of tried to keep the conversation very small to talking about Ripley specifically in terms of Alien. And we thought for this time around, it might be fun to kind of open the doors a little bit again and talk about Ripley in whatever direction that conversation goes. Um, so I guess maybe to kind of get things rolling, uh, Andy, do you want to kind of kick us off and tell us a little bit about uh, who Ripley is to you? Um, I think the moniker Space Mom, which applies to so many of us, uh, was really at, at the heart of it, um, especially my age. You know, the those wonderfully traumatic ages of 13 and 14, um, there was something about her that I knew I could simultaneously um, find comfort in, that she was almost like a mother to me in, in a certain way, but also something to aspire to, um, you know, at that time and, and, and in the future. Um, she was somebody that everybody could aspire to. So one of the, the most profound things for me being that age um, and growing up in the eighties with all those movies we talked about. Um, and I had two brothers, you know, I didn't have any sisters. I was very much surrounded by uh, the male, um, you know, spe species, if you will. Um, and my species? brother's <laughs> species, I don't know. Those are horrible. <laughs> um, right. But um, I, just being surrounded by that and seeing how they took to her and how they appreciated her at the same level um, that, you know, they appreciated Indiana Jones or like Luke Skywalker. And um, one, one moment that I'll never forget is when um, I'm, so I am very much afraid of mice. I have like a deathly fear of mice um mm. yeah yeah it's bad um anyone who knows me knows that and so one year I think I was an idiot and I put like Halloween candy under my bed or something and I woke up one day one night to just the crackling sound of mice under my bed and so one day I was playing in my room with my brother and we saw it we saw it like by my desk and I had this white desk but this really big yellow chair that went with it and he, out of nowhere, I was basically the Lambert in this situation, like frozen. <laughs> <laughs> Smoking cigarettes. And, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get um, out of the way. <laughs> and uh, without, like, I just remember, like, it happening all of a sudden. He picks up the yellow chair, and I think it dawned on him that it very much looked like the power loader. And he just started making, he made these hydraulic noises and he like started just like <laughs> trudging for it with this chair, like in attack position and, you know, uttered the famous line. And I and it was funny and it was hysterical and we laughed and loved it. But I just remember thinking like, how cool is it that my brother, you know, would, would pick Ripley to, to sort of be my savior uh, uh, and just... You know, he wanted to be Ripley. He wanted to. And for me, seeing my brother, boys wanting to be her, I think was profound. Um, and of course, I wanted to be her. Um, but and then as, you know, as I grew up and of course, just went through life, um, you know, I, I feel like I sort of followed her path in that 
she kind of goes along through these movies and then gives less and less, you know, fucks, if you will, about things. Like, she she takes no shit. And I find myself, now that I'm in my 40s, like, really not caring about all the stupid things that I used to care about. And I take that lead from her, I think. Like, yeah, I'm, I, I've been through so much. Like, this little stuff is, is pointless. Um, so she's shifted for me as far as, you know, what she's meant to me. But she's definitely very much still my space mom. I, I'm so lucky that I got to come back to such an extraordinary, you know, sort of sane, solid character uh, four times. And um, one of the things I was most grateful for is that she sort of, even though, yes, she was a strong woman, she's also, to me, you know, it's sort of beyond, it never felt to me like um, she was a strong person and she was a strong character and it was what made her you know um i i really feel so lucky that i got to play that kind of role because i think it's still very rare for for uh, a woman to get a kind of great character to play and and it, it was she was just written i think walter and david wrote her just like a man you know they just and they you know even today, I see movies with wonderful actors in them, actresses, and they'll always have a scene where the woman goes into the bathroom and cries and stuff like that. And I just hate all that because I don't think women do that. You know, I mean, if you're going to cry, you kind of cry in the moment. You don't go in and have a special scene where you show people how vulnerable you are. It's, it's nonsense. So, you know, I, I appreciate that I got that character to play. Funny, uh, a funny little momentary diversion from that about space mom before i forget is that um when sigourney weaver did like a personal message for alien day to the fans uh i was on our twitter account and i was like the first comment on it and, and this comment got like hundreds and like thousands of likes because it was like the first one mm -hmm. and it was it was it was uh we love our space mom and then my phone corrected it to ridley and so there were like dozens of comments oh, no. <laughs> what the hell's wrong with you perfect organist so we talking about ridley scott as our space mom but you can't edit a tweet right so then i had oh, to like God. i was like apologizing but it's funny but, but you say space mom and everybody knows who you're talking about you know i mean I, I feel like jamie and i i know that i i called her that like growing up that was like what i used to like call her to my friends and then i heard you say it and i don't think i got it from you i don't think you got it from me I think no, it's something that we kind no. of independent. I it's think we no. we all kind of kind of say that. Yeah, yeah. No, I've heard it before. I've heard it. You guys say it too. Yeah. Like it's it's a thing. And it's always in the context of Ridley Scott, right? We're talking about Ridley. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I have a similar story in that, like, um, and this is more recent that has been so delightful for us as parents in getting our children. Um, not obviously because the movies can be pretty scary. We don't allow them to sit and just watch the movies with us. But there are some scenes, especially in Aliens, that they are allowed to watch now and they love. And um, we find that our sons kind of fight when we were playing um, the Alien, the Aliens board game about who gets to be Ripley. And um, unfortunately, we still live in a world where a lot of the times um, the little boys and little girls may not elect to be the, the female character. But in this case, like hands down, it's it's Ripley that everyone wants to be. And I think that's just a testament to her power and um, her strength and, and her like legacy as a character that continues to live on. 
But why, though? And that's something Patrick and I haven't gotten to the bottom of, and nor have we gotten to the... And maybe there isn't, there isn't one answer. But why were, for some roles, like maybe you have little boys saying, no, I don't want to play the girl part or whatever. Why is Ripley so loved by people? What is it about her that is so universal where people don't care? I just, I, I feel like I don't have any, I don't have the answer I want, but I don't know what answer I'm looking for either. Well, I think it de- it kind of can depend and shift on which movie you frame your thought of her as. And like, like any good character that stays with you, she evolves. And like, Andy, you were saying sh- your love of that character has evolved as you have evolved as a person. And I think, I think that's why it's so hard to put your finger on it because it depends on what you're looking at her um, what lens you're looking at her through. Because when you look at her through Alien, my thing that I've been thinking about lately when I was preparing for this podcast is about, um, yes, she saves the day and she's the one that survives. But at the very beginning, before there's any trouble, she is a fucking professional. And mm-hmm. she like goes in there and she knows what she's doing. Like you said, she doesn't take crap from anyone. And there's just this like respect for this character just from the beginning it's unspoken there's not oh she's a woman and she's respected she's just respected for who she is her talent and her knowledge she's on the nostromo she knows what she's doing and people report to her and i think that is a huge thing especially in that time period it, for for that to exist at all i think is a miracle because still to this day we do have terrible stereotypes that we see in movies and films and just the fact that Ripley could have broken that so many years ago is really wonderful. I'll tell you what I know. We sat down on LV-426. One of our crew members was brought back on board with something attached to his face, some kind of parasite. We tried to get it off, it wouldn't come off. Later, it seemed to come off by itself and die. Kane seemed fine. We were all having dinner and, um, must have laid something inside his throat, some sort of embryo. He started, um, he... Look, man, I only need to know one thing, where they are. Joe Vasquez, kick ass. Anytime, anywhere. Right, right. Somebody said alien. She thought they said illegal alien and signed up. (laughs) Fuck you, man. Anytime, anywhere. Are you finished? you're right i really do i think a lot of it too is um sigourney weaver herself i mean the the physicality of her you know she's very much feminine and uh, a woman but she brings this and i think you guys were talking about in the uh, the the i i listened to the other uh, the podcast that you released today you know we're just talking about you know the the physical presence of her and it's not that people are necessarily intimidated. I mean, maybe there is a little bit of that, but it's just this commanding respect. And it's not because she maybe necessarily physically towers over them. Um, it's the, the the depth that she brings, the seriousness at which she takes, and the character, too, which she takes her job, which she takes her role. Um, there's no questioning that. There's no, oh, is she, you know, what is she here for? She's not, like, whining about being cold or whatever. She's, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it sounds specific. It's a little bit stereotypical. Um, stereotypical. But, 
Um, she's not, you know, she's not, I, I mean, there's the, there's the, I think more than anything, she's just human. And the way they were written, you know, it's been talked about endlessly about how, you know, how they were first written and then the character shifted. I just think because the the dialogue and the characters are sort of written sparsely, like in a little, in a basically like a minimalist way, um, they didn't tack on all that extra Hollywood bullshit that they usually attach to women, you know, they, and and that's I think why everybody looks at her a certain way, like, oh, this this is somebody to be respected. The characters in the movie respect her, but we as an audience respect her because there's none of that, you know, stereotypical crap that usually gets added on and just tacked on because they think audiences want to see that or women want to see that or men want to see that. I think it helped that she, uh, that that character wasn't, I mean, all of the characters I know were not specifically written for either gender of the binary but um and when when Sigourney Weaver went in she just blew everybody away with her audition and that's how Ripley became a female and who she is and and I I just love what you were saying Andy about how she doesn't have any of that bullshit attached to her like she's not on the ship chasing after her man or trying to get (laughs) over a man or there's nothing there's no man thing about it there's just nothing she's just there to do her job she's a human like you said and she has a complex story that just is tangible not by any exposition that's spoon-fed to us as the audience but just by the virtue of her being there and the way that Sigourney herself commands the camera and um, just a brief aside, the first thing I ever saw Sigourney Weaver in was um, Gorillas in the Mist, where she plays Jane Goodall, I believe, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And I remember just that performance was so incredibly commanding that I still to this day, like so many chills that I, I just like thinking about the power that she was, she commands in that role. And she just, she brings it to every role really that she has, but they couldn't have gotten it more right than when they found her for Ripley. My character is, is for a long time in this picture, the alien, because she's in this colony of men uh, who have sort of avoided and, and come away from women to, to whom women are forbidden. And so she's considered really a, a danger, a threat. And almost she's an assertive, aggressive character. She doesn't mind using her fists. Well, in the case in which I use my fists, I think it's highly justified <laughs> after an attempted rape. But actually, I don't consider her an aggressive character at all. I consider her quite low-key. But assertive. Uh, well, she's in a very aggressive world and yeah. asserts herself because no one will listen to her if she just says something normally. She has to sort of get their attention. I'm sitting on a, I'm sitting on a little uh, nuclear weapon for this conversation, which I will hold Patrick, please. until later. But we, we, there's, there are some things that have come up so far that are reminding me of this particular nuclear weapon, which almost derailed our last episode because oh, wow. we had a whole 45-minute conversation before we started where I was like, Jamie, I'm really wrestling with something about Ripley that is kind of uh, making me feel like I don't have the, uh, the vocabulary to talk about her that I kind of thought that I did. Um, and Andy, something you had said kind of reminded me of it. And uh, fuck it, I'll just go ahead and, and say it. You can't like talk like that. And then, like, <laughs> I can't tease it this much. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess something that that I'm, um, I've been thinking about a little bit, especially as we've seen so many female characters who uh, are not written to be 
super gender first or gender normative in any way. Like Captain Marvel is a great example of a character who like gets like all of this hate, but a lot of the hate directed at that character feels very misogynistic. A lot of the hate directed at a character like Rose from Star Wars feels that same way. A lot of hate directed at Rey from Star Wars feels that way. We're seeing a lot of these female characters taken down. And then a lot of them, though, it's not like they're um, adhering to these tropes that female characters traditionally have adhered to. It's not like Captain Marvel is slowed in flight because her breasts are so big or something. It's not like they're, it's not like, you know, like, uh, like Rey would be one with the force if only she could get her heart, you know, fixed because of a bad breakup or something right like they're characters who do a lot of the things that ripley does they're characters who seem to exist in a way at first as a character and their gender being something that kind of just follows them along with ripley and i'm gonna say it i'm gonna fucking say it there is a degenderization of her that i find a little bit problematic because i think part no, of why not. we're so quick to accept her is because I think she betrays a lot of characteristics we typically associate specifically with male characters. So, for example, she got the part because she was physically imposing. She was impressive. It gave Ridley an instinct. But everybody who talks about that audition talks about it in terms of these masculine traits, that she came in with these boots on. She was tall. She was strong. She was imposing. She had authority. She had presence, right? Um, these are all things that I think uh, feel a little bit like the the implied um, like uh, secondary clause in those situations is, and she's a woman. That's something that to me feels like a little bit like uh, a little problematic. I'm not saying that that's obvious. That's obviously a hyper reductive way to look at it. We love we love Ripley for reasons that go way beyond gender, obviously, and way beyond our inability, perhaps, to look at her as a woman or a man or whatever. Um, and also part of why she's such an enduring and great character. Is specifically because she doesn't rely on gender. We talked about that extensively. But I do think that there is something to be said for her, uh, for the simple fact of this, that we universally accept a female character who was written as a male character and then changed by pronouns only in the end. So she's, we're, we're really watching what was, what was a male character navigating a film, but being played by a female Who's, who was cast because she's so physically imposing and strong and has that real presence. Um, and I, I find something a little weird about that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw that out there. I kind of disagree with that a little bit. Um, I get what you're saying, though, about how maybe that might... So, okay, so maybe that is how it began. She, she came in, she was strong, she was imposing. She exuded what can be stereotypically given to a masculine character strength, formidability, um, authority. But the way that she breaks out of that problem for me is that she is also so very feminine and womanly and nurturing. And uh, I mean, I'm trying to not say stereotypical words, but she's emotional. She isn't, I mean, she is she's just honest, you know, like she's looking at these crazy circumstances that are in front of her and reacting in such a truthful way and such a very believable way in such a very dreamlike world. And I think, I think that she counteracts this, maybe the thing that won her the part was that masculinity, but throughout her arc as a character, to me, she is a woman in in a traditional sense, but she's also just like, she's complex. She's a human. 
And when when she does in in Aliens, learn of her child's death and and like take that blow as a mother, it's it's so powerful to watch that, and it's so powerful how that transform transform her transforms her. Geez, um, as she encounters Newt for the first time, and all these things that are tugging at the heartstrings of who she is as a mother, which is to say as um, for her as a woman, you know? So I don't know. I like, I see what you're saying, but I, I don't know that she is problematically dis, disgendered is what you said. And that she is just a female who happens to be playing a role that was written as a man. I think it evolved before it came to be on screen. Look, I don't have time for this. I've got to get to work. All right. I heard you're working in the cargo docks. That's right. Running loaders and forklifts, that yeah. sort of thing? so? Nothing. I think it's great that you're keeping busy. And I, I know it's the only thing that you could get. There's nothing wrong with it. What would you say if I told you I could get you reinstated as a flight officer? The company has already agreed to pick up your contract. If I go. Yeah, if you go. Come on, that's a second chance, kiddo. And I think personally for you, it would be the best thing in the world to get out there and face this thing. Get back on the horse. Spare me, Burke. I've had my psych evaluation this month. Yeah, I know. I've read it. You wake up every night, your sheets are soaking with sweat. I said no, and I mean it. Now, please leave. I am not going back, and I am... I would not be any good to you if I did. Yeah, and I should clarify, I'm, I'm really talking about Alien in particular, okay. because I, I think that after like it was established that she was this iconic character and she was so great and she got fleshed out in Aliens, special edition or not, like there's there's obviously this big maternal component to her in Aliens. And, 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 you know, I don't think it's an accident that she also emerges as a real heroic character in Aliens as she becomes more maternal and becomes more sort of self-actualized and more complete. I guess what I'm saying is that when Alien came out, there wasn't this huge uproar over her femininity. And I, I can't help but feel like part of that might be because it was a part that was written as a man, and then it was just very mildly altered for her to play. So people were kind of accepting a male part, even though it was being played by a woman. I just, I, I, I just, I, I don't know. I've, just been th- I've been thinking about that a lot this last few months. Okay, I understand what you're saying. Okay, um, part of that too, I think, is just the time that it came out. Like, had you know, had it had this movie come out now, who knows? She probably would also be a target. Um, you know, there was no internet then. So I think just not having that ability to dialogue with other people, maybe there were some people that were put off by that. Um, and then, you know, just fell in love with the movie because it's such an amazing movie that, you know, maybe that maybe some people liked it despite that, um, not because of it. I, I, I totally see what you're saying. And I think when I started talking about her physicality, um, I think, you know, what Micah said too, there, I, maybe it started out that way. Um, but there are definite moments in alien where, you know, she's very much a, a, a feminine or a woman. It's just the story, the stories that usually involved women always called for them to carry out some sort of feminine role, whether it be a mother or a love interest or whatever. And I think the story here lends itself to, her doing quote unquote more masculine things just because that's the story. Um, and it's less about, you know, uh, Oh, they, they masculinized her in this. I just think she'd be that 
in any movie, you know, and maybe the next, like she would have a love interest. And I mean, she had a daughter, you know, she clearly knows how to flirt. She has sex. It's not, she's not, not feminine. I just think in this movie, in this particular role, what we typically see on screen as women doing, that wasn't her role in this. Well, here's first question. What do males do as opposed to what do females do? I think there's gender, not just gender roles, but they're like, I think that's the first question. If we're going to discuss the idea that Ripley in Alien is, would, what's the term misgendered or is that? No, I, I would say sort of agendered, agendered, which again, isn't necessarily a bad thing, No, but, it, but, it's, but it's, it's specifically no, non-feminized, non I guess I would say. But, and I think to, to discuss that, we have to discuss what she does. What does she do that's agendered? I can't think of anything that she does that's agendered. Um, uh, unless she lived in a world or we lived in a world where women were still property and they couldn't leave their home, then we could look at her through the lens of, yes, everything she's doing is what men would do. But we don't live in that world. Maybe back in the, in the early 20th century, perhaps, um, if a movie like that came out and there was a woman who was a captain of a, of a ship on the sea that's black and white, you know, and women are still property and they can't vote. People would probably look at like, well, why is this woman acting like a man? That's not the world we live in. So I don't think if I, if I think about and I process everything that Ripley did as a character in Alien specifically, there's nothing there's nothing that says this is what a man, this is how a man acts. As the film goes on, she gets teary. She gets weepy. She starts to cry. She's then essentially raped by Ash orally um, with the, the newspaper or the magazine rolled up. Um, and she has to kind of bring herself back. And she assumes a bit of a maternal role as well. But then there's this. The, the other thing that I think about is when women are stereotyped in roles in films and they're written unfortunately, by men, typically, and they have them doing very stereotypical female things, like whether it's being a mom or all of those things, those things that are positives are then almost cast as a negative. So I think it's a, it's a lose-lose situation for women. Oh, don't act like this, or you're, and I'm not saying you're saying this, Patrick, I know you threw this out there as a, as a point of discussion, but I think it's a hard place to be when women men don't go through this at all well i would say unless they're people are like homophobic where men are accused as being a woman or acting like women because lord knows you don't want to act like a woman i mean all of you know even homophobia is rooted in misogyny um so i think i think it's a delicate discussion to have about whether ripley is agendered or not because I mean, I've, again just to reiterate i'm not I know you threw this out there for the sake of discussion, but I, I don't think she can win. And I, I don't, I, I think that it's a losing battle for her. However, to engage the larger conversation, I had this aha moment as you guys were talking, I because really we didn't see any of this in the, in the nineties and the eighties and the seventies. Um, and it has only happened within the last, I would say five to eight years. What's happening is these movies are being made with commentary. These casting notices are going out 
on social media with commentary. Woman cast in this role. They're they're clickbait. They're 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 these titles for these articles about casting or superheroes or whatever. They're all with commentary, and people are like, just tell the story. Don't make it about agenda. Sigourney Weaver was cast as Ripley without commentary. There was no social media back then. That's the difference. And I think that's what that's what makes it harder to make a film these days is instead of studios or filmmakers making a film and casting women or writing leads, all of the trades, the online trades are all are all posting all of this news with commentary. And it's I mean unfortunately like for for instance Captain Marvel, which I loved. I thought it was amazing. I thought Brie Larson was amazing. There was so much commentary about what she was going to do and her agenda and what she said and all of these things. I was hesitant to go see it. I was hearing so much chatter about that. Um, and if you rewind back to um, Prometheus when they cast, and of course this is a legacy role to some degree. They didn't cast Numi Rapace as Ripley, but they cast her in an alien film. So I think that there was some probably built in respect for that, but there was no commentary. People weren't saying why they're casting a fucking woman again. No one was saying that. Now people are starting to say that again because we had Daniels and I'm not trying to veer this conversation off into the prequels or those characters, but I'm just trying to answer a little bit why there isn't any commentary about Ripley because she was cast without it. She was cast without anyone's opinion, without fandom's opinion before the movie even came out. And uh, I think that's really important to note. Well, maybe that's, maybe that's part of the indelible factor about her that she is without commentary and that she's one, she's um, a human in this story that is doing human things that are not necessarily male or female things. Like when you were talking and you're talking about agendered and things like that, the things that she does that are agendered are surviving because <laughs> she is put in these crazy circumstances. No one else survives, but she somehow does. And it's not because she's a woman. And it's not because she's a man. It's it's not because of any of those things. That's like you said, Jamie, there's no commentary about that. And that that's so exciting. She's a human and we get to just watch this human like us she can be any of us. She can be male or female. She can be like, that's how you relate to her. She needs to survive this horrible creature in space. And she's just a human. It doesn't matter if she's male or female. And I think maybe when I was listening to you guys talking about it, that's like, that could be thrown in the the bag of, oh, this is exciting about Ripley's agenderedness. Yeah. And, and again, I think it's it's like the, the great strength of her character. I mean, that's what I said in the last episode. And I, I stand by it. I, I think specifically the fact that she's not gender first, that she's character first is the brilliant. That's why her character is so amazing, I think. But I, I, I also can't help but notice that it's it, that she was written as a man. There's just something weird about but that. But she wasn't me. written as a man. In fact, weren't the notes that this could be any gender? That's what they said when they turned the script in. Characters yeah. could be any gender. So I don't think I think it was just written as a character. I think it was written genderless. It just happened to have he. Yeah. But I think <clears throat> it's important yeah. to note yeah. that a friend of ours who we've had on the show made mention that they felt like Ripley was bit, was agendered. And I, I categorically disagree. Because I also think, so if you say that about someone, if you say that about a character is, is, is um, agendered, 
So they're not acting a stereotypical way. Is that why you're saying this? Like, what's the what's the win here? There is no win when you say this. And if she was written that way, then we'd be like, well, she's just stereotype, you know? Like she's just she's crying, and I mean, I see I, what you're saying. Like you, know, you you can't win if you're a stereotype, but then it is it a bad thing for you not to act stereotypically? You know? Yeah. Like what what does what is if we if we look at it objectively, if we look at it through the lens of wholeness, what are specifically female traits that men don't have, or are they just human traits? Should we all be sensitive and emotional and transparent and communicative as people? Absolutely. I think that there's a misnomer there about what women do and what men do. Are there differences as, as genders? As Absolutely there are. But as characters, no. I think we all possess the same. We all have to make decisions. We all have to, we all are, we all have to deal with a situation that we're in and we have to make whether that's on a ship in space, whether that's at our home, whether that's as a mother, whether that's as a daughter or a brother or whatever, we all have to, we all are, are, are given a, a certain situation. We have to make decisions. And I think that's all that Ripley was doing. So that was the, the background on why we're talking about this, this, because our friends believed that she was agendered. And I, I think it's just, just bullshit. I don't think it's true at all. Did they give, um, specific examples of what made her a gender or, you know, tend toward masculine versus feminine. Like you're saying, like, what is the masculine trait or the feminine trait? Cause everybody just wants to survive. You know, like Mikey, you totally said it. It's humans against this common threat and they're just doing what they need to do. And I think we and society just, pegs or tags on these labels that you know we know men and women in our daily lives and they're they most of them don't fit into these categories most of the time so i think we just put it onto them we assign based on what we're we're told to think of as far as gender um so when we don't see it we think oh she's a gender she's without um when there's clearly you know she runs the gamut from every emotion, she's logical, she's a critical thinker. I don't think that's male or female in any way. I think everyone can possess that. Um, you know, she's just so perfectly human in an imperfect way. You know, she's, you know, to, to, to quote Ash, sort of secondhandedly, she's clouded by conscience and remorse and morality very things that he think are perfect in the and you know or that that are imperfect she has and most of us have i think we just tack on these labels or or society does and they don't mean anything when it comes down to it yeah i think you guys are winning me back on the side that i'm typically on in this argument so i, I appreciate that um but I do think it's worth talking about gender expression because it is something that's, you know, fluid and invisible. And I think it's real. And I think if we pretend that everybody is everything to everybody all the, all the time, that, that we're actually kind of talking about the decharacterization of characters in films. Uh, and, I, and I think that um, it's that it's it's also OK to, like, betray character and gender um, expression in a non-stereotypical way. And I, and I would hope that audiences could take a more traditionally in terms of gender expression, female character or male character um, the same way that they take Ripley, who I think is written 
to be kind of to cover all the bases um, in a way that I think is really beautiful. It is really great. But uh, it just I, I've been gender has been really on my mind lately because uh, partly of the work that I do, but also because I think that in in Hollywood specifically, like Jamie was saying, over the last 10 years, it has been so fucking all over every single conversation. And all of this outrage keeps getting directed at these female characters, and it's really, really unsettling to me. And uh, and it's just so absent from conversations on Ripley. And I think we can say that it's just because she's such a well-written character or because uh, she doesn't rely on tropes for stereotypes, and that's part of it. And I think we can say that the internet didn't exist back then, and I think that's part of it. But I do think that there is something to be said about the gender-neutral way that she was written that um, I'm glad we've at least gotten to talk about a little bit. Because uh, I think it's an important thing to get into. But I will also say that even if even if it was an accident, which it was basically, that she was written the way that she was written, um, that's how vulcanized rubber was invented, right? Like th this is how amazing leaps happen is you do something strange and a strange byproduct comes of it and you end up with a character that's uh, alchemical, you know, a character that makes gold out of something that you thought was something non-gold. Um, and I, I think Ripley is that perfect example. She's a character who transcends labels. She's a character who transcends generations. She's a character who transcends expectations, right? Jamie and I were talking earlier. The, the photo that I'd chosen for the episode that we uploaded today uh, was a, a picture of, of – it was like one of the press photos that Sigourney Weaver took. And she and she really looks her age in this photo. She looks like a kid almost. Um, she looks so just young and so kind of unthreatened by the world that was about to crash into her. And she looks – it's a, it's such a simple photo, and there's so much promise in it. <laughs> and I think um, – I don't know. It's just it's, it's it's just the journey that that character takes from the first time you see her and you identify her as – you know, she's like the youngest person on that ship. She is a female. She has all of these things that, that should, in the context of 1970s cinema at least, um, should in quotes be disempowering her in her environment. And in spite of that, she is such a commanding presence and she totally subverts everyone's expectations and she becomes this enduring action icon. And it's just, it's just extraordinary. And I think, uh, it's something that is, is sort of, um, it's, it's, it's remarkable to unpack because, um, like Jamie was saying, it's, it's almost impossible to know why, you know, like we can pin it on a million things. We can say it's because she's like, you know, non-gender specific or whatever. We could say it's because she Sigourney Weaver was just an incredible actress. So we could say that she was written in a really beautiful way. Or we could say that the movie was so good that she could have been written poorly and it wouldn't matter. Or we could say that the time and the place was right because of the absence of social media and because gender was in a place where it was an emergent thing and feminism was a big deal. And we could say all of these different things. But at the end of the day, it's none of those things because it's all of those things. It's this crazy combination of factors that um, led to like an actual miracle being captured on film. And that miracle was the emergence of Ellen Ripley in the popular consciousness in the late 1970s. It's fucking amazing. One thing I wanted to mention as we discuss women in lead roles, certainly in the context of Ripley, I think about what's happening now. And you have people like Kathleen Kennedy, who's the, what is she? What is her specific role at Lucasfilm? I like executive VP or something like that. Okay, yeah, the VP of Lucasfilm. So she's responsible for getting the movies made, getting the, sh the stories made. She has come out uh, a few years ago saying the force is female, all of these things. And I think she did some harm to the reception of Ray and the reception of Rose because people right away felt like there's an agenda here. Kathleen Kennedy has an agenda. And I think if if we 
say, God forbid, they rebooted Alien and they wanted to remake the original. They wouldn't. I'm just saying. Say, God forbid. And someone came out and was like, or or say they, maybe it wasn't a reboot. Say they're going to reboot the Alien series and they're going to start fresh. And someone comes out and they're like, we're casting this as an all-female cast. It's going to be a crew of women. That's what Alien's about. I think that would leave a bad taste in people's mouth. Not because all of those characters might not be good characters and maybe it could be a good film. It's because people want to make up their own minds about characters. They don't want an agenda. And when you pivot to an agenda first before people have even seen a product, even seen the film, you're doing it a disservice because the story should rest on its own merits. And uh, I, so I think that's the scenario that I could see happening with any future alien film. If, if there was commentary um, and there will be commentary. I mean, I think we're even at this point now where they've done, they've tried to do Ripley two more times in the prequels and it, it hasn't been successful. It really hasn't. Despite the films themselves being very interesting and ha having their own merit, the Ripley role with a different name hasn't been successful. And, you know, I don't know if going the route of another female protagonist as the star is the right choice, not because it shouldn't be a female, but because maybe we should just write a good character and whether that character is male or female, we don't know, but let's just write a good film and see where that goes. At any rate, I, I, I just, I feel like we, we could come into this point where gender politics could really hurt alien in its past. It hasn't even with the two prequels. It hasn't, it really hasn't. Um, even with the casting of Catherine Waters as Daniels, there was no commentary on that. No one had any negative thing to say. If anything, people might have made some commentary on the the tank top shirt photo that she that they took, where she's her breasts are visibly whatever you call whatever whatever that term is, and she's got the rifle, and it's a little bit sexualized. There was some commentary on that photo. Aside from that. There was no one had any negative things to say. And even the people who have negative things to say about the film, they aren't so much, I'm sick of a female in a film. They're like, oh, these characters aren't working for me so much. That's it. Um, so I still think we're in this, I don't know, um, this safe place with Alien right now, thanks to Ripley, thanks to Ripley being who she was and her legacy and how it's uncontested unmitigated. I, I, I agree with you. And I know Patrick and I talk a lot about, um, especially because we're both really into sci-fi things, obviously. So we, we often not complain, but we talk about how we really crave that character presentation without commentary. Um, and I, we, we've had this conversation amongst ourselves, like what would the next alien film be that we want to see? Like who would be the protagonist of that, and um, and things like what? What about the next Star Wars film or Star Wars thing? Like anything that comes at us that's that's just trying to tell a story. Um, that has always and historically been the the type of story that makes me excited. Like I really, I don't think I care about it being necessarily a female lead or a male lead. I mean, yes, I would like to see more badass roles written for women like Ripley, but I want it to come without commentary, like you said, Jamie. And I, I it's interesting that we, we keep arriving there offline and on the podcast. 
Yeah, I, I feel like the fact that we're still talking about a character that's 40 years old as being this, you know, almost alien concept is kind of depressing. Um, we, this shouldn't be an issue anymore is kind of where I'm at. You know, we shouldn't, it shouldn't matter. It does, though. And yeah, so, like, why is it so exciting when we get female characters that are written just like humans instead of like, oh, she's really powerful and strong for a girl. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, why are we still in this place where we're still having few and far between characters like that? In the 80s and the 90s, there were a lot of female characters, a lot of female-driven, certainly science fiction, but all sorts of films. And no one was saying anything again because there wasn't a platform for commentary. And I think, I don't feel like the problem is we're at this place where people aren't past that because I think we are past that. The problem is the chatter and people who pay attention to the chatter. That's the problem. The problem is, is that everyone and their mother has found their voice via social media. And not that that finding your voice is the problem. That's not the problem. I think it's, it's, it's like this airwave. It's like this radio wave where you turn it on and you go to it and it's, you hear 10,000 voices and they're all, a lot of people are agreeing, a lot of people disagreeing, a lot of, some people are trolling and everyone has something to say. Everyone feels like I need to, I have something to say. And I feel like that's the problem. That negativity is a problem. It's not because we are past it. But I also think, again, studios are a lot to blame for this. Um, the people like uh, the Hollywood Reporter, Variety, the way that they post, the way they report, even the fan outlets like um, Geek, Geeky Memes and a few others, the way that they post news items is very divisive. We have, we're living in a society, in, a, in an online social media society, where everything is divisive because everyone wants a click. And so, and those things are pitting people against each other. They're pitting men against women. When, you know, I, I think about friends of ours who really have an issue with certain films or whether it's Captain Marvel and they've gone on and on about it. And I had this light, this light bulb moment where I feel like they don't have an issue with the character. They have an issue with the commentary. They're just like, just show me the movie, man. Just show me the movie and let me decide. And that's not happening. And I think the only way it can happen is if you leave social media. But I also want to pivot to a couple of things. Um, Cause I know we're about an hour in. Um, I think about the character of, and of course, they're, they're sci-fi, but the character of uh, Linda Hamilton's character, what's her name in Terminator? I can't remember her name right now. Sarah Connor. Sarah, Sarah Connor. Connor. Sarah Connor. There's some similarities between Ripley and Sarah Connor, and I don't mean, and some people might think, yeah, they carry guns. No, that's not the similarity. And I find myself not liking Sarah Connor at all. And I've also find myself feeling like, well, why don't I like her? Do I not like her because she's not nice? Do I not like her because she doesn't smile? It's none of those things. I just don't like her as a character. She's not, she seems one note to me, even in Terminator 2, which is really, I don't like her in Terminator 2. I don't like that character. Um, I, not that she, I'm not saying even she's poorly written, but I, I, Ripley does something. She, she's on the level of Sarah Connor and they're doing similar things where they're fighting for survival. But Ripley comes out, comes out of that journey on another, 
on another end. And of course she's written by the same person, James Cameron, in terms of the aliens version of Ripley. And I think it's very, very fascinating. Um, and, and I, and I'm bringing this up because I, I, I'm curious if there's a film and maybe I know this answer for all of you. I don't really know, but I know I have my answer. Is there a film featuring Ripley that you, it's hard for you to watch. It's hard for you to watch that iteration of her character. Don't go, please. Newt, I'm going to be right in the next room. And you see that camera right up there? I can see you right through that camera all the time to see if you're safe. I'm not going to leave you, Newt. I mean that. That's a promise. You promise? I cross my heart. And hope to die. And hope to die. Um, if, I, I mean, resurrection, but it's not her, you know? So I, I don't consider that Ripley. Um, but as far as the original three, no, there's things in each that I, I love, I love her at each stage of that character arc. So if you're, if you're referring to resurrection, I, it is definitely not one that I go back to because I just, it's not her and it's, you know, she's barely even in that, in that she's like not doing anything. So, um, is that what you mean? Like the actual character of Ripley? Like, well, sort a- of. I actually, I for me, it's Alien Three. It's I, it's my favorite, but I, I don't watch it very often because I feel like I meet Ripley when she doesn't care, and that that's like a knife in my heart to watch Ripley who, okay. who's given up, and uh, that's really difficult for me to watch or even process her at that point in her in her story in her arc um, to see Ripley at this place where she stopped caring and she doesn't give a shit. I mean, she's finally forced to give a shit later but it's barely giving a shit she wants to die and that's hard to watch space mom go through that i mean the, the answer is resurrection i think is it's it's just like it, it's 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 just embarrassing to watch her in that movie and even even if it's not her i mean it, it looks like her as the same actress she's you know resurrected you know genealogically speaking to do to do nothing to just like slink around weirdly and be sexual and play basketball and it's just it's just like a, <laughs> I, I, I can't watch it uh, but I, I i mean alien three to me is is the best version of that character because it's the most honest version of that character alien three to me is the is like the crucible that forms who ripley actually was all along um and it's really hard to watch i agree with who that who was she all along you have to explain that i don't i'm not following the ultimate survivor this entire time she was the ultimate survivor and I think that she was uh, somebody who, in the midst of incredible odds and incredible darkness, never lost hope. Um, and that hope wasn't like aspirational. That hope wasn't some great big optimistic yeehaw 1980s, you know, let's go kill the aliens hope. That hope was the hope that there is a tomorrow and that she will make it to that tomorrow and the hope that she will take whoever she can with her. Um, and and I think in Alien 3, it's it reminds me of um, almost like symbolist poetry. It's like this incredibly stripped away kind of abstract statement on the nature of the human condition at its absolute most primal and most um, inscrutable in a lot of ways. I think the Ripley that we see in Alien 3 is communicating things that are so profound, partly because she is so close. She's so tenuously close to being totally cut off, right? I mean, she is so like – she has – 
like Andy, I think you were saying this a while ago, like she has so few fucks left to give about anything, right? But she does have that one fuck left to give, which is that she's going to make it out, right? And that one fuck is very profound. Um, and I think that in all the other movies, there's all these other things happening around her that are giving her additional reasons to make it through, right? Even if only in the first minute it's Jones, although it's not, right? She wants everybody to get to the Narcissus who can. Even if it's just Jones in the first movie. Even if it's just Newton Hicks in the second movie. There was always, like, some other reason for her to keep going. And then in Alien 3, as soon as we see her in that movie, everything is stripped. Like, we've talked about a million times on the show, right? Her her connections to other people are stripped away. Her hair, she doesn't look the same. Her clothes. she's just And she's just trapped in this rock, surrounded by hostility. And even in that, at the absolute ne plus ultra of her existence, of her arc as a character, she finds that redemptive hope to snuff out the species, and in doing so, snuffs herself out. And I think that that's just like, uh, it's incredible, and it's so hard to watch. And and that is why, and I know I've said this before, but who cares? <laughs> is that like, um, is, is that why the, the idea of, of retconning Alien 3 is just completely irredeemable to me? Because, like, you can't take this character to its purest form and then just ask us to act like it didn't happen and just pretend like she was just an action hero the whole time. Because she's not an action hero. She's a survivor, you know? And sometimes survivors take people with them and they're heroic. But that's not why she's doing this. She's doing this because who she is at the core of her being when we first meet her as a 30-year-old warrant officer until until we say goodbye to her in Alien 3, not in Alien Resurrection because it doesn't count, um, as somebody who's been through an incredible amount and lived for decades and decades and decades is a survivor. And I think it's beautiful and it's difficult. That's hard to follow. Um, I I really agree with that a lot. Um, and like um, Andy and you, Patrick, I also believe that resurrection resurrection is obviously like the most difficult thing to watch. And I also agree. Like this is just me repeating what you guys said. It's just it's not her. It's like it can't be because it's it's a joke. Um, but, uh, I agree with you about the survivor thing in Alien 3, but what moves me so much, and maybe it's just because I'm a dramatic person, but I just, in her ultimate sacrifice, which was her own life, to snuff out that last hope of there being another alien, um, that, that is, like, the ultimate heroic act that she does, and just, like, the look on her face as she does it, it's so moving, and, um, so thrilling um, to me to watch. And so while I can't, because I guess Resurrection doesn't count, I can't really pick a movie in its entirety where I think it's too hard to watch her. Um, but I can pick moments in all, we'll just say three movies that are my favorite times to watch her. And I do have to say, like, uh, yeah, like I can't, I can't decide which Ripley is my favorite. Um, just because there, there's just moments in every movie that she's in, the real Ripley, that are just like so delightful and they just awaken something within me as a human and give me hope myself. Um, I, I love watching her survive. I do. I love watching her be resourceful and intelligent in the first one and just being stronger in that one, even though all the odds were at, at her against her. And I love watching her grow from there 
to being, she's wiser now. She knows this horror. She has this trauma that she doesn't want anyone else to experience. Even if she doesn't like the people, she, she still is trying to save them from the horrors of the aliens. And in Aliens, we get to see her show more of the maternal side that we all felt from Alien when we first met, when some of us first met her. So there's just there's just little moments in all three movies, and like like I mentioned before, in the third one when she eventually does um, jump off of that bridge into the the boiling lava to to make sure that no one else will have to deal with a, a queen alien or whatever alien she happens to have within her. There's these little moments of Ripley that all come together into this like mountain of a character that you just you can't ever you can't let that go. Like 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 you said, it would be such a detriment to the movies to to get rid of alien 3 so long story short there's a lot of moments that make me love ripley and very few that i can't really watch can i propose something actually you said something micah that i thought was really interesting that um got me to finally stop thinking about gender expressions in the back of my head (laughs) the rest of this episode (laughs) and that is that there are many different ripley's and that's something we don't really talk about very much. We talk about the arc of her character a lot, but depending on which film you're watching, you're really watching a different version of that character who is in a very different place and acting very differently due to the circumstances she's in, but also where she is as a character. But she's still true to who she is. Somehow there's a kernel of a Ripley that's a through line of Ripley, to me yeah, at least, yeah. that I get. Oh, no, she's definitely, there's a continuity. Like, like she's, she's definitely she's Ellen Ripley. Ripley. But she's Ellen Ripley seen through very different lenses. And I think that um, what I would like to talk about, if it's okay for a bit as we close out, is uh, is which Ripley we identify with right now in our lives. And I say that because the Ripley that I identify with right now is not the Ripley that I identified with for much of the rest of my life. But now I, I know exactly which one I identify with. Um, so uh, can we maybe do a quick round of, of which Ripley we see in ourselves? This organism gets off the planet it'll kill everything the company doesn't care about that they just want it for their bioweapons division okay so we can't let them come here fuck you look i'm sorry you've got this thing inside you but i'm getting rescued i don't give a shit about these stupid prisoners but i've got a wife i've got a kid i'll go home on the next rotation no this is hard i'm gonna send this message back i need that fucking code i'm sorry babe it's classified. Listen, you stupid little shit. This has got to be done, okay? There are no alternatives. You're not getting it. No fucking way. I love this. Um, I think that's a. I think that's a great talking point. Um, I. Do I go first? I don't know. Yes. Okay. Go for it. If you want to, if you want to wait, that's fine too. Um. And while I, you're thinking of it, I'll give you like my little ten-second little bumper to this, yeah. which is that. I was thinking earlier on, Jamie, you were mentioning how, uh, you know, it's interesting that Ripley kind of is evergreen for us, that she's a character that we kind of always can come back to and relate to. And I really think it's because she does change so much and there's so much of her in the span of time we have with her that we can kind of always see some part of ourselves in that character. Um, and, and so and I, I just I'm noticing that 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 has changed for me over time. So, yeah. So, Andy, kick it off. What do you what do you think? Um, are we do, are we talking in terms of like film or just moments of Ripley? Because I feel I would like say, I would say film. Film, okay. Um, if possible, I I I want to say the if, I've mostly probably identified with the aliens Ripley um, because even though growing up 
I was I maybe identified with Newt. I don't know. Maybe like I, I viewed her as my mom, but it was the, the, and I don't have, you know, I didn't identify with the PTSD aspect of it, but the overcoming and the desire to overcome all the crap that she's already been through and just power through and get over it and then channel that, um, you know, that strength into then um, saving others, not just herself. But then part of me, like I was saying, definitely identifies with me not giving many fucks, Ripley. Um, And I didn't, I, I haven't suffered the horrors that she suffered, but I feel like as I've grown and just been a person in this world, my naivety has gone away a little bit and I see things much more um, cynically or, or at least truthfully for what things are. Um, and so I've kind of shed that sort of innocent look, you know, the Ripley of earlier films, I think still had hope in people. She was surprised that people acted a certain way that they could, you know, she was surprised that Burke was as sinister as he was. And I think in alien three, she knows like, no, (laughs) you know, the, the, yes, there's still goodness, but it's fewer and farther between than I, than she thought. Um, and I'm kind of seeing that now, you know, just being a science teacher and I'm not getting too political, but just the state of the world that we're in now and just having kids and knowing what's lies ahead for them. I, I'm not giving, uh, a lot of concern to things that maybe I did when I was younger and I'm directing that now into more, not necessarily anger, but maybe like a, a slow burning rage at just all the, uh, <laughs> All all the horrors. I mean, honestly, all the horrors that are going on in the world right now. And I kind of see things from that viewpoint. Um, So, yeah, maybe, maybe three. And I don't know what that says about me. (laughs) But um, that's, you know, I I want to not be as cynical. And it's kind of hard sometimes. Um, But I, I definitely see many, like all parts of her in all films. You know, there are, there are things about her that I hopefully see in myself. You know, maybe I'm, or things that at least I aspire to be. So, I don't know, maybe that's where I'm at. That's my honest answer. I did not expect that answer, but that's what just came out right mm-hmm. now. So, um, what about you this guys? This is actually, this is a psychoanalytic session. So, <laughs> thank you for, been doing- there's a copay due at the end of this. <laughs> Jamie, what about you? Oh boy, hmm. What is, this is a Pandora's box. Um, well, I think about first. I have to think about who Ripley was for me, and I've, we've gone through this before. Like when I met her, and Ripley was really she was really Space Mom, and I said this before, but whatever, I'll say it again. Um, when I met Ripley in Aliens, well, when I re-met her in Aliens again as a teenager there were some really difficult and dark things that I had experienced. And I remember watching the movie over and over and over and over and over and over every day after school, sometimes twice a day, over and over and over and over. So much so that my parents, friends were like, were, were concerned that Jamie's watching this movie so much. And I just remember now as an adult, uh, I, th- I realized that I was seeing this woman. She also had a really dark story. No one was believing her. 
but she was saving this child. And I think part of it, her, who she was, she was saving me too. And every time I watched her, even in the, in the face of adversity, when she wants, she's telling Gorman, you need to save your people. You need to save your people. And he won't. And he's paralyzed. And she takes, she takes control of the situation because she's forced to. And Hicks has her back and she goes to rescue the Marines or whatever Marines are left. And so you're seeing this person do what everyone's taught they should do the right thing. Even when someone is telling you who's in a place of authority, no, that's not the right thing right now. And you, and Ripley saying you're going to, and she's seeing firsthand you're about to lose lives. Lives are being lost right now. You've got to go in there and see who you can. And the authority in that context was like, you don't know what you're doing. I'm sorry. And she's like, fuck you. I'm doing this. I'm going to save those lives. So for me, I felt like she was doing that for me. Like, I don't know where I would have, how I'd have gotten through my teenage years without that Ripley. And it's not so much. I identified with her as much as, I feel like she was the mom that I really wanted in some ways. Like, I mean, of course I love my mother and I'm really close to her. Um, but at that point in my life, I was watching someone who was saving children and standing up for what's right. And I was desperate for that. And no one was doing that for me. So, but who I see myself as now, um, or the Ripley that I see myself in now, unfortunately I would say it's the alien three Ripley just because I, I'm going through a lot of stuff in my life right now and I feel like there's no way out. I don't know. And, uh, and that's one of the, it's hard for me to even process the Ripley and alien three, because I'm so, I feel so close to who she was. Um, and maybe I'm being overdramatic. I don't know. I don't think I am. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's rough to see your space mom be stripped of everything. And I, that's not the Ripley that I, it's the Ripley that, I mean, I, when I met that Ripley as a 16 year old, she was something completely different for me as, as opposed to when I watch her now. Before, when I met her at 16, she, I was like, yes, I'm with you. I'm in a similar situation. Now as a 43 year old, I'm like, I'm here too. And I don't see a way out. Um, much like she does. Um, and yeah, it's sorry. It's in a very pretty picture, but I mean, it's not like life and death, but it feels like life and death. Anyways, mm. next. Well, that's really, that's really hard for me to answer. Um, especially when you like made it have to be a movie Ripley. Um, it's hard because like, I almost like wouldn't dare to, to like give myself the mantle of Ripley ever. I would, I would really love to be like very many of the Ripley moments that I've cherished over the years. Um, I can give you one version of Ripley that I am relating to right now as I'm kind of crawling through my last semesters of nursing school. And that would definitely be Ripley from alien three. <laughs> Just kind of like, oh, I gotta get through this. Like I have to survive this. But, um, I don't know, like I, like you, Jamie, I, I see the mother that is doing the right thing despite being terrified and 
be, despite being told, no, you're hysterical, no, you're wrong, you don't have the authority or whatever, I, I want to be that. Like, you know, I really do want to be that person. I want to be that person for my kids and, and my friends. And I want to be that person for my patients when I'm, when I'm working. So I, let's just say that I would like to be the Ripley from Aliens. Um, I do see, see some naivety in me still as like the Ripley from Alien where she is completely um, blindsided by the betrayals that can go around, go on around her. But I don't know. I'm really hesitant to, to allow myself that mantle. I think it's, it's, I don't know if I'm, if I'm big enough to get into it yet. (laughs) Maybe someday. I don't know. You're big enough to get into it. I don't know. Um, So for, for most of my life, I really saw myself as Ripley in Alien 3. Um, and I'm not saying that because necessarily I was uh, depressed, although there were times in my life where I was, or because I was um, having a, an especially hard time or anything, although, of course, there are times where I was, but more because uh, I feel like the inner life of Ripley in Alien 3 is really strong because the outer life can't be expressed. There's no, there's no space for her anymore. She's, she's with nobody who will understand her. And I feel like a lot of my life um, up until the last, well, up until Micah, really, was a lot like that. It was very much an inner experience where, like, my outward expression was very, you know, friendly and nice and everything. And people, you know, I had friends and I was fine. But um, but, but, but there was a, a deep sense of feeling um, kind of trapped in some ways. Uh, and and so so for a lot of my life, it was really Alien 3. And, and, and a part of me will always be, you know, to a degree there because a lot of my formative years were spent feeling um, really closely identified with this character who was very depressed and who was in a very difficult place, you know, but, uh, but, but, but since then, and especially since having kids is just the Ripley and aliens is exactly who, where I see myself. Um, and I, and I say that even knowing that it's corny and knowing that it's simple, but, um, but it's profound and sometimes profound things are corny and simple, you know? Um, but when she says, when she says, uh, you know, close your eyes, baby, like that, that's something that I, that never hit me really until I had kids. Um, and now that the whole when she goes back and gets Newt is uh, is like uh, unbelievably powerful to me now. Like it's like it's it's hard to watch. It makes me cry. Um, and, and I think in the past it was more of this abstract sense of like, oh, she's doing the right thing. She's saving children. It's it's really, really great. She's, uh, you know. But for but it's not uh, it's not abstract anymore. Kind of like Jamie, you know, for you. Uh, it wasn't abstract either, you know? The situation that you were in, like, saving children was a very real thing. Um, and uh, and I think for me, like, and and for the other parents on the show, I'm sure, and, and you know, for you with your family as well, like, this idea of um, there are people who really need you in this world. And there are people who... Uh, there, are, there are people who will um, do anything to protect those people you know like that 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 and i and i and i know that i would do that for my kids and that and and i brought this up a while i don't remember what episode it was on but um i think it was because somebody took my favorite moment and i had to kind of scramble to think about what my favorite moment of the franchise was my favorite moment of the franchise is the birth death scene in alien 3 i think that's the best thing in any alien movie um my second favorite moment is the derelict and those are the two that people bring up all the time so i was trying to think about what my third favorite was 
And then I immediately realized that my third favorite was actually probably my number one favorite now, which is when she tells Newt to not look at the queen at the very end, because it's, it's such a simple thing. And it's something that like I do as a parent a lot, um, day to day, you know, when the kids are scared, which is a lot because our kids get scared of a lot of shit, probably because I show them too many scary science fiction movies, but there's like this sort of a constant sense of like, it's going to be okay. You, you, this shoulder is a safe place for you to, to, to lay. And that, um, when she does that in that circumstance that is so fucking scary and there is so little hope left and it's so extreme and the world is crumbling around her and, she, and, and with the, like the last breath that she thinks she has, she just instructs Newt to just lay her head down. It's, it's just a, a incredibly powerful. And there's a lot of sort of parenting things in Aliens that are obviously really powerful and really well written and really effective, but they're a little more overt. There's a lot of things in Aliens that are – you know, when she's talking to Newt about, you know, whether monsters are real, tucking her into bed, right? There's um, when she's, you know, the one who goes down and, and, and you know, reaches and she gets, gets her hand or she gets her to speak for the first time. There's a lot of things that are more kind of overtly maternal or, or overtly um, uh, parental in the movie than this very minor interaction at the end of it that's just this snapshot. It's three frames, you know? She just tells her to just lean lean her, her head in. And in that one gesture, in that one moment, I see the totality of what it means to be a parent. And so for me, um, the whole trilogy is kind of recontextualized because of that moment. And so so I, I, I really see myself as Ripley and Aliens. Not to say that I'm anywhere near as, um, you know, valiant or incredible as she is or resourceful, because I'm, I would never say that in a million years because she's my fucking hero. But I would say that there is something deep about the motivations behind that moment for me that uh, I I really identify with really strongly. I agree. She does. Patrick, she does. Well, go ahead. No. Can I can I just steal your answer and like <laughs> <laughs> and like we do? Yeah, <laughs> we just go back and like say your answer because it's that's a hundred percent how I feel. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I think I, I reference Alien Three only because I'm. I think I'm just frightened for my kids, and I. Not that I've given up completely like that, but I. I feel that. You know, the, that everything is kind of collapsing around me. But at the same time, like you said, like close your eyes, baby. It's. It's so true, and it's so simple. It's such one little sentence, like I think defines parenthood. Like, I've got you. We're going to get through this. And, you know, this is not something that, you know, you need to like deal with the full force of right now. Like we're, I'm, I'm going to protect you. So I'm stealing your answer. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'll, I'll say that your answer just recontextualized mine for me. Well, while I am still like very intimidated to allow myself to, to like make any sort of inferences between myself and Ripley. I would, like I said, like I would love to be that. Um, but you know what, when people ask me, when my friends who ask me about what it is to have kids and what, what the difference is, um, my friends who don't have kids, the thing that I always return to saying is that it made me so much braver. And I think that's like, it's a very true and very real thing that I've discovered. It does like the, the those boys in that room over there made me brave enough to go back to school, to go to nursing school and to like do things that I never thought I could do and to start to own things about myself and things like that. And and I guess in that way, they make me Ripley. And I 
I would be very proud to be their space mom. But yeah, you're right. That moment, it always hits me too, that close your eyes, baby, because it's true. Like the one thing that Ripley can do in that moment is offer just comfort because all she knows is she knows, or at least she thinks she knows that the next moment doesn't exist for them. So what she does is offer comfort to Newt, which is what being a good parent, a good human, a, a hero is. And so, yeah, having kids has made me braver and made me Aliens 3 Ripley. So, yeah. You mean Aliens Ripley? Aliens. Yes. <laughs> I just got all caught up. Aliens Ripley. <laughs> Get away from her, you bitch. <laughs> yeah. I think it, it, it drives home this idea to me that part of why Ripley is so believable is that heroism is usually a very small thing. And we don't see that in films very much. Most of the time we see heroism in movies. It is it is somebody saving the world, you know? It's somebody saving a, a bus full of people that can't drop below 55 miles per hour. <laughs> it's something, you know, it's it's somebody defending the, you know, against the Decepticons. It's something just colossal and a little ridiculous, but, you know, it gets our adrenaline pumping. Um, <clears throat> the moments where Ellen Ripley is heroic are moments that are so real and they're so tangible, even though they're in the context that's so fantastical, they're, they're moments that are so human. And it's like we talked about, you know, Jamie, when we were mentioning how much we love Hicks as a character. And I, I just, I, I love him almost the way I love Ripley, not, although not quite, um, is, is it's the small acts of heroism that he does that are real acts of heroism, right? Not everybody can go into a burning building and save everybody in that building, but everybody in this world has the capacity to be kind. Everybody in this world has the capacity to be at once aware of how difficult things are and brave enough to help others get through it because they know that that's what they need. And I feel like that to me is why um, is why Ripley is so enduringly powerful as a heroic figure. And that's something that exists, of course, regardless of gender, regardless of film context, regardless of genre, regardless of any of the other baggage we attach to things, right? It's just what being a hero is. And, uh, and and Ripley is a hero in a very small and very enormous way. And that moment is a snapshot into it that I think really hits me hard. I also think it's important to note, uh, to go back to something that I think Sigourney Weaver has in common with Joanna Cassidy. And I've, when we were interviewing Joanna Cassidy, I, we were talking to her about, this is in February when we interviewed her, we were talking about there's this presence she has that men almost seem afraid of her. But it comes off as respect, which is what it should come off as. Um, they shouldn't be afraid of her. They should just respect her. But there's something about Joanna Cassidy's presence that demands respect from men. And I think Sigourney Weaver is very much the same way. There's something about her presence, even though I've never met her, but you can see it all over the screen where she commands attention. She commands respect. And I think part of what we're seeing with Ripley is this demand for respect. Um, and one of the great things I, I was thinking about when you're talking, Patrick, is of everything that she's gone through she, in Aliens, she's they're gaslighting her for the first, I don't know, 15 minutes of the film. They're, she's in the boardroom. They're talking to her. They're essentially telling her or they're essentially suggesting that we think you're crazy. We don't think that this stuff is real. So and you can see her realize that. You can see her make mention of that. Like, I can see what's going on here, but I'm telling you those things exist. You can see her, you know, 
wake up screaming in the middle of the night from her, from her nightmares. And you can see the self-doubt that they're sowing in her. And she overcomes that gaslighting to then be not a hero. She's a hero to us because that's how we see her. But for her, she's doing the right thing. And I think part of her brilliance is that doing the right thing is heroic. It just is. We live in the world where people are scared to do the right thing. They're scared to speak up. They're scared to fight for other people. They're scared to make make a scene uh, because it might, you know, because someone needs to be saved. They're scared because maybe it puts their own life at risk. Time and time again, Ripley is doing, I mean, that's what whistleblowers do. They do the right thing regardless of, of the consequences. And it's terrifying. It's terrifying to do it because oftentimes, you know, even as much as alien resurrection doesn't exist for me as a story, when they bring her back, she's under the same doubt she was in Aliens. Yeah, she was crazy. She was doing things that harmed Wayland Yutani. We don't want her doing those things again. Like she's met with the same doubt from the men in power uh, because she did the right thing. Her, the, the initial iteration, the original Ripley, resounded so loudly that they're terrified that the clone would take on those same uh, characteristics. And largely the clone doesn't, the clone doesn't give a shit, um, which is makes it not Ripley, of course. Um, but I just think it Ripley doing the right thing was heroic. And, um, we don't live in a world where we talk about, we, we talk about people doing the right thing. We talk about Martin Luther King or hero or, uh, people from history, human history, doing the right thing and how amazing those, how amazing that was. And yes, they're awesome and blah, 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 blah. When it comes down to it, we're terrified to do the right thing. Even speaking up for people, even speaking up for people, speaking up for their children on their behalf of their child. Oh, I don't want to, I don't, I'm a, I'm not sure. And uh, that's, but Ripley does it. Not, not a lot of people do it. And I, I feel like that's why she spoke so loudly to me. I I a hundred percent agree. It's um you know like Patrick, you were saying too, heroism comes in many forms, and we're just hit over the head with it so often, in in all these films. And um you know you mentioned Hicks. I adore Hicks. He's absolutely my favorite next to Ripley. And if you look at just the little things they do, both of them. You know, not just for Newt, but for everybody, but particularly new. And we, and I know you've talked about that moment where he picks her up um, and puts her on the table, which side note, I talked to when I was talking to Michael Bean, um, I didn't know this. Maybe he said it before, but he was the one who suggested um, that his character do that. At least he told me that. And, um, and I just, I loved that even more because it was, it's those little touches um, and the fact that he saw Newt as a human child where everyone else saw her as an alien running across and they were literally going to kill her. Like he saved her life in that moment. Um, and Ripley, you know, sees that, yes, she's clutching a doll, but and, and she needs that comfort, but she's smart enough to be part of the process. You know, they both saw in her. She survived. She's smart as hell. And we're going to include her. That's an act of heroism. Because like you said, most people just ignore the kids or, 
you know, oh, they're just being kids. And no, they have voices too. And that to me was one of their greatest attributes. It was, yes, there's the mother and the, you know, surrogate father role. But to me, it was more, this girl's smart. She's a survivor and we need to listen to her and we need to include her. And, um, those little acts, you add up all those little acts and like the whistleblower and the, you know, being told time and time again, you're crazy and her trudging through it. Um, you know, to prepare for this, I actually counted up all the times in the three movies that she kept saying, either listen to me or I'm telling you. And it was like nine times in all of these movies in, in every one. It was either listen to me. You know, uh, if we break quarantine, we could all die. Or will you listen to me? Or I'm telling you these things exist. You know, please, you're not listening to me about Kane. Um, and she keeps trudging through. Or a lot of us would just be like, all right, you know, no one's listening to me. And, and kind of just cower. And I know I would probably, too. I've done it. So that is one of, I think, her greatest acts of heroism is that resilience and no, this is the right thing. And no matter how many people are telling me it's I'm crazy or not to do it, I know what's right and I'm going to do it. So I think that's her greatest strength. And, and that's just as impressive an act of survival as surviving against the xenomorph on the ship. Like that, that, that simple, that, that, that the holding so steadfastly to this idea that there are right things in this world and that, she knows what those things are, and she's going to stand up for it, even though everybody will fucking back her into every corner that they will ever try to. It just hit me for the first time. I don't know why. Um, when I was watching Alien in the on the in the theater, <clears throat> when they had the uh, showing last month, it, it hit me like how expensive the Nostromo was. Like it, it kind of registered with me, like what an enormous deal that was that she blew it up. Uh, I don't know why. It just it's yeah, at this point where I am in my life, like the the financial impact of that in the face of this the corporation kind of like hit me as something that uh, how how intense that was as a decision to make. And how much was and how she never even hesitated. Like I mean, she did go back to try to stop the countdown. But once it was going, she was just going there and she never apologized for having done it because she didn't she wasn't going to apologize for having done it because she had no reason to. Uh, she's like, you know, we talked in the last episode in, uh, about her in Alien as like, you know, she's young, she's female, she's all of these different things that within the social context of the time, whatever, would be disempowering for her. Um, she's also like not running this, you know, pan-global conglomerate corporation. She's completely disempowered in that context. And yet, like I said in the last episode, she's the one standing up in that room while she's being quote-unquote debriefed, right? She's the one who is not only uncowed, she doesn't fucking back down. She persists, right? Nevertheless. And I think that's a very important thing with her character. And Andy, I'm so glad that you brought that up. I want to say one, two, two really quick things following on your comment quick. I know, I know we're running late, but um, just briefly, uh, three separate people wrote in after that episode about the Hicks putting Newt on the table. Three people, including one of the people I've already mentioned on this episode. Um, he'll have to see if he can find out who he is. Uh, as saying that that moment stuck out to them too. And that that was something that they've always like, every time they see the movie, they like get this little flutter in their heart. There is something so amazing about this moment. That's not even scripted, right? Like you're saying, like that was just, he just lifted her and put her up on the table, but there's so much communicated in that very simple little gesture about, the nature of heroism, like you're saying, 
that speaks to people. And 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 I I mean I never get the only write-ins that I get for the most part are people complaining about me liking Covenant. Like you know people don't write in that much specifically to me. Uh, but they, but this one, I, people still bring it up when they hear that on, on episodes and it's, it's amazing that that has really resonated for people that much. The last thing I'll say, you know, going back to the conversation about gender, not reopening this whole thing up, um, because we don't need to, because whatever. But, um, I, I, you know, I think one of the great strengths of Hicks character, which we've talked about in 40 miles, bad road is also one of the great strengths of Ripley's character and that he exhibits like all of these traits that are sort of that sort of transcend gender expectations of people, right? That he's very maternal in a lot of ways, traditionally speaking with, with Newt, that he, you know, uh, is that he's a protector and that he's a, uh, a provider, but he's also very nurturing and very quiet and very quick to be supportive and doing all these things that, you know, in a lot of movies, a female character would be doing. Um, and I think that's part of why he is almost uh, as fascinating as Ripley is because they both just sort of exhibit all of these human traits that are often like completely glossed over in the nature and in, in the in the service of exposition or in the service of um, conforming to gender stereotypes, and I think um, I, that, that's probably part of why Hicks speaks to us so strongly too is that he's he's very clearly not just a sort of a grunt, right? He's not just a man in a in a suit shooting things. He's no. a lot more than that. And when he needs to stay on the ship, he does. He his masculinity is not marred by her being the one to go she's i need to do this and he's he's like yep we're not going anywhere like that is i love that moment too and especially for a movie that came out when it did it it it's just so great to see um an action star act the way he does with that moment with newt with staying and being the supportive role rather than the macho man like that that is really special like he's a very special character and, and I'll call myself out and, and admit that I've never talked about uh, Hicks being agendered before. So that's an interesting thing to think about, you know? Well, what's interesting about that, I know, whatever, we're going down a rabbit hole a little bit, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> what's interesting is the first time that Vasquez and Frost see Ripley walking to her locker, they go, hey, who's Snow White? look, who's Snow White? They call her a princess. Like, who's this princess aboard? And right. they're almost the male gaze at her to some degree, which is interesting. And Vasquez is stereotypically masculine in many ways. Um, She doesn't show any connection to Newt. Um, But Hicks is not that way. Hicks shows connection to Newt. He's soft in the most beautiful definition of the word. That's what Hicks is. He's soft as he should be, but maybe not as a Marine should be because maybe Marines shouldn't be soft. He falls asleep on the ship. They say someone wake up Hicks. He's not at all stereotypically male. And I'm sure that that was on purpose. Yeah. He's a human. And and that's why he's so fascinating because he's not a grunt. He's not a typical Marine. He's a, he's a complex human. And, and that's why we are talking about him right now. Correct. And I think he is well, he is so loved among like, uh, uh, you know, just on the internet with that picture going around the love for his character across all types of people. I think that's why we love Ripley to go back to that initial question. Why does she resonate with everybody? It's the same way he does. They, you know, they're not 
oh, the most masculinized or feminized, ver- like stereotypical version of a human. They are just good people who go through this world, take the shit that is thrown at them, and remain and retain their humanity. And I think that's, like we were saying, that's the most heroic thing is to retain that humanity because we know so many things can strip you of that in this world. So I I love Hicks. I could go on like a whole nother episode just of Hicks. But um, no, I think I love that we're talking about both of them together because I think, you know, they, they just kind of reflected off of each other, this beautiful dynamic. And as a kid, and this is another thing growing up, and I even told him this, and I'm not embarrassed to say this, but I told him, I said, your character basically ruined men for me until I met my husband because <laughs> I, because that's what I knew I wanted in a partner was somebody who was an equal, who saw me as a human being and didn't, you know, didn't fall into this trap of, oh, you're a woman, so you have to do this and I'm the guy and I have to do this. And they just respected each other it was the utmost respect i think it's one of the great non-relationship relationships in in all in all of film ripley i don't want to hear about it bishop she's alive there's still time in 19 minutes this area is going to be a cloud of vapor the size of nebraska hicks don't let them leave we ain't going anywhere see you hicks Dwayne. it's Dwayne. Ellen. Don't be gone long, Ellen. And the fact that it's a non-relationship is very important, I think, right? The right. fact that it, that, it, that it never has to become that. That it's never, that there's no big sex scene. I mean, I, I think part of why Terminator is, is a weaker movie than Terminator 2, and I know this is controversial, we're not going to talk about it, but uh, is for me, like, the, the sex scene, I'm like, okay. Like he traveled across time for her, I get it. Like there, there's something about the, the fact that in Aliens that the movie doesn't rely on that. It doesn't rely on the thrust of a romantic narrative. It's just about this idea of a real connection between people. Mm. Because sometimes that is really, it's not enough. Sometimes that is the most important thing is that human connection. It doesn't always have to end with you know penetration. Like it's okay sometimes for people to just love each other in a very deep way. And I think that we don't see that in movies very. There's, there's a lot of things in in these films that are really against expectation, you know, sexually, sexually speaking, gender speaking, all these different things that that are, are really kind of complex. And they were all coming out during time periods when this was not as uh, much on the forefront of conversation in Hollywood as it is now. It's kind of amazing how trailblazing these things were, you know. If you process it a little bit more, and you think, I think about, and we've discussed this before on Forty Miles of Bad Road, but you think of Gorman character he froze up he didn't have a lot of experience oftentimes again in film or in stories women are written that way as inexperienced paralyzing freezing up um freaking out all of those things gorman did and then like let let, let a man take over or what you know what i mean like sort of the classic hollywood you know stereotype but all of that was flipped so you have these characters acquiescing to ripley not because she was a woman, but because she was a better leader. She was the more natural leader. And then I even think of an Alien 3, when things are going crazy, Ripley has to calm those people down. She has to calm them down. These hardened, murderous criminals who are, you know, they all look alike. They're all bald and 
they're terrified of this thing and she has to calm them down. She has to calm 85 down. She has to say, no, it's okay. Let's. So these, this reversal of, or this, this idea of gender and gender norms, I feel like they're flipped from alien to alien three. No one is acting. Everyone is real. I mean, you, you know, I, I would say probably the only tip, the stereotype that we might see is Lambert. Um, but she's balanced by Ripley. You have one person freaking out, but then, but then you see again, alien three or in aliens, these male characters like Hudson freaking the fuck out because they're trapped on LV426 and they, how long is it going to be? And he's freaking out and he's freaking out and Ripley has to talk him down and bring him back. And she has to do it again and again and again with these male characters. And again, that's amazing to see all of it without commentary. She's, she talks down men over and over and over and over in every film. Hold on, Parker, shut up. Listen to me. Listen to me. Come on. This little girl survived longer than that. It's okay. Get your shit together. Listen to me. Film after film after film. The only film she doesn't do it in is Resurrection, but she's not Ripley. Um, and I think the original topic or maybe starting point in terms of the, the question of gender or being agendered or is really a question for all the films, but I think it isn't a question for all the films. These are just people in, in, in extraordinary circumstances and they're all reacting and Ripley is written and acted in a way where she, she is the better angel of our nature. That's who she is. She is how we all should behave, but she's also human because she is afraid. She's terrified. She's crying. She's, she's, she's experiencing loss, all of those things, but she pushes on and she pushes on and she pushes on when many of us wouldn't, when, the men just fall away. Like I think of even, this is funny connection, but I think of the movie steel Magnolias. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that the original from 88 and they're You've been bringing about, the movie up a lot lately. No, I haven't. When did I bring it yes, up? It's, it's, you no, brought it up like two weeks ago. Yes, no, you did. I didn't. Oh, anyways. Um, it's a good movie. Keep going. In, in the movie towards the end after, uh, what's her name's character? Um, Julia. Oh. No, <laughs> Julie, Julie Roberts character dies and all the women are at, or at Spoiler the funeral, alert. whatever. It's from 1988. Um, <laughs> and one of the characters, I think it's um, Julie Roberts' mother, played by... Sally Field. Sally Field is talking about her husband. Her husband couldn't take it. Her husband left. And all who were remaining were the women. And I'm not saying this. I'm not trying to make commentary on, oh, women are stronger. But what I'm saying is the structure that we have in our head, this, this archetype, uh, and the, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for where something is built around you. What's that? The construct, the construct of gender is bullshit. There is, it is, Mm -hmm. it's bullshit. We're all the same people. We, we might, there are some physical differences. There are some, um, there are some differences between us as species, for sure, as male and female or whatever. But the <laughs> construct in terms of of existing, of how we exist, does not exist. We are all the same people. And some of us might get freaked out. And some that could be men. That could be women. We, we, we could pee our pants. We could say, no, we're going to fight this and we're going to go ahead. And Ripley breaks the construct because she's human. And that's what humans do. 
Yeah, it's like That's when men, true. when men like, you know, are like, again, and I'm not, I'm not like targeting all men, but like when some men say, oh, women are the emotional ones and they are like ranting or screaming as they're saying it. It's like, yeah, anger and like all these <laughs> things you're experiencing are, I hate to tell you, but they're emotions. I'm sorry, but we all are emotional. And, you know, that whole like, oh, women are emotional is just bullshit. It's complete bullshit we if you are a human being who is normal like who has actual normal emotions and doesn't suppress them then it doesn't matter what gender you are that's we're all going to go through that um and i think in alien 3 the tragedy of ripley in alien 3 is in the first you know 20 minutes, 25, 30 minutes of the film, you see her, she's got her hair, she's looking at Newt, she's in the the morgue, you see the pain all over her face, and then she goes through this tragedy. She loses it. She then turns stoic. She then completely retreats into herself. And she, it's almost like she loses emotion. She does not care. And that's the tragedy of Ripley is she stops caring. She stops even surviving. She just, she doesn't even want to survive. She wants to die. And that's to me why alien three is so tragic is because she ceases to become the Ripley that we know and love. And she just doesn't care. She it's, she becomes, yeah, she's just, she just becomes this like, tragic character that's just a num- another head in another bald head in the sea of bald heads it's funny i mean i, I we're talking and I, I keep thinking about like ripley the and we've mentioned this before but the alien in the room isn't just the alien the xenomorph it's the company that's who ripley is fighting as well and in alien three it becomes it all comes full circle. These people want this thing. They don't give one shit about you. That's who they're fighting. Yes, the aliens, they got to deal with it. But the real alien, the real threat are the other humans. And that's who Ripley has to fight. And I, 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 I don't think people talk about that enough. Anyway. But I think, I think if the movie ended with that, <clears throat> then I think that would be one thing. But, but I think that the fact that she's still, even within that context, has this redemptive arc where she... Uh, ends with an act of power mm-hmm. is why to me that movie is 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 not that hard to watch because i know that it, we're going to get there that all the pain will have been worth it because she redeems it in the end so it's like it's like taking me to a very low place to to break through to the side into a brightness that you know makes it worth it almost i don't feel like it's worth it for me i mean not to say that it isn't worth it but i think for me as i'm losing her and i don't want to lose her and that's part of it. Like, oh, yeah, she she stands up and does the right thing, but we lose her in the process. So now to who do we have? No one. And so that's more of a personal thing, more than a story thing or a, mm-hmm. I mean, it's logical. It, it completely works. You're absolutely right. But for me, it's more of a selfish thing where I'm just like, yeah, I lost her, but we all lost her. Now who do we have to fight? Nobody. I agree. More well, yeah, but I, I, th- I think the I think the point is that now we have ourselves. It, like, like to me, when True. I watched that, it, it's it's her, it's it's Batty, you know, saving Deckard's life at the end of Blade Runner, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's she she is imparting with her final breath hope for us all. Mm-hmm. She's saying that no matter what happens to us in this life, yeah. there is some hope and there is some redemption. That yeah. there is something we can do to make it through to the other side. Um, we have to wrap because it's midnight here. But before we do, I want to give a quick plug. To the Mandalorian, which is an incredible show. I almost and brought that up like four <laughs> times. And I just want to—I want to bring up it. as a brief thing why it's something that Mike and I have just talked about so much is that the Mandalorian as a character 
consistently does these things that both Rick, uh, oh my God, Ricks and Hipley, that Hicks and Ripley do, which is that he acts Ridley. in non in non traditional <laughs> Ridley, our space mom Ridley Scott, in these non traditionally gender normative ways that he's like so happy to ask for help, that he's so fair and so kind and so nurturing with with Yiddle. all of these things. I don't like, know if he's like, that happy to ask for help and fair and nurturing and kind. I think there's something speaking to him. Episode three. Yes, but I feel like he was doing the right thing and rescuing it, but he's still sort of hands off. He still sort of doesn't know how to he respond. But I agree with your sentiments. I think he's not I mean, doing look, gender He's not starting things. from the point where he's just this like happy parent. I mean, he's right. starting from where he's a fucking bounty hunter yeah, from yeah. a race of, of religious warriors. I mean, totally. like, this is pretty amazing. But, yeah. but in the midst of that, the first thing we see him doing is accepting help from somebody and asking multiple times to remunerate that person in exchange to say, thank you for helping me. And this is in, a, in the context of basically a space Western. This is Clint Eastwood's character, right? This is the kids of John Wayne. This is like the, the land of the classic male archetypes that are so tired and so boring. This is the story where this character should, quote unquote, 20 minutes into the movie, be taught a lesson about what it means to like be a real man, yeah, which is yeah. to like a real man ask for help. Yeah. But the reality, <laughs> but he knows that like he's just navigating the world and he's seeking out companionship and help and he's you know, repaying people and acting in ways that are non-traditionally gender normative, especially vis-a-vis the, the genre that this thing is set in. And I find a lot, I think a lot of why The Mandalorian is resonating with so many people, other than a million other reasons about how well made it is, is because that character feels fresh in the way that Hicks feels fresh, in the way that Ripley feels fresh, which is that he's not just this thing that we're expecting and that expectations being delivered on. He's something that surprises us and makes us feel like he's real, you know? And I think that's really, really powerful. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, and at least for me in closing, that the reason why Ripley is forever powerful for me is that she will always feel real because I will always see my mother in her. I will always see the people who have performed those small acts of heroism for me in her. I will always see myself as a parent and as a friend in her I, and as a husband. I will always see the the real human experience in totality, not hampered by any particular agenda or any particular creed or any particular belief system as a universal expression of what it means to be a person I will see myself in that wrapped up in her and uh, and she is a part of my fundamental identity and she has been for my entire life since I can since literally I could remember since I was in second grade. Uh, and I think that, you know, my parting thought tonight um, and my parting thought in this, you know, two part Ripley episode is uh, is just how lucky I personally feel in a deep way to have her um, indistinguishable from uh, myself in my heart, you know. Like I know that she's separate from me, obviously, but I don't remember. I don't remember myself before I had her as a role model. Yes, That's what I'm yes, looking for, yeah, right? She lives. I don't with remember. Yeah. I don't remember what it was like to not have her as my hero because yeah. I can't remember that far back. And I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky that she's just wrapped up in my concept of heroism. Yeah. In my concept of what a good person can be. Yeah. And so many of us have that gift. Yeah. And that is thanks to these people who made this movie, to this woman who played this indelible character. And, uh, and to this fandom that has sustained this and has fanned the flames for decades now so that we all remember this incredible presence in our lives day in and day out. Yeah. Uh, she, I actually wrote down as the first note. Um, I, was, I was taking a lot of notes to prepare. And the very first thing I wrote down is she's been in my life so long, I can't remember anything else. Hell I, yeah. I, yeah. I, it's... And I don't want to. I mean, I, obviously, I love my mother, too. Like you were saying, like, you know, I have all these people in my life. And I think she's a reflection of all the best things 
that I love about the people that I love and that I want to love in myself and I aspire to want to be, you know, to, to love about myself. And, you know, I find myself asking without actually asking, like, you know, what would Ripley do in this situation? Like, you know, maybe not overtly, maybe not even consciously, but it's there. It's, you know, something's not going on here. I need to speak up or, you know, my daughter is crying and I need to comfort her. All those little things. And it's not, you know, it's not just, oh, I'm thinking of Ripley. It's just, I'm thinking of what would a good human being do in this moment? And it just so happens that it's probably something that she would do. Um, and like you said, she was an, she's an absolute gift. She's, uh, well, I, I, the impact that she has had and that character and the movies, but specifically her, I, I don't know, can ever be measured. Um, I, and I just think it's so profound and it's a testament to what art and movies and storytelling and characters can do and just showing a reflection of who we want to be and who we need to be. And I, I will forever love her. I think we need some bracelets. <laughs> yes. We do, right? I think bracelets. so. That's awesome. Merchandise. Totally. Yeah. And with that, what a fantastic episode. It's probably one of the best episodes we've recorded in a long, long time. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Micah, Andy, oh my God. Really great episode. I mean, I could talk about yeah, Ripley great. all day, every day. So, yeah. I, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. I was Absolutely. thrilled when you asked, and it's exceeded all expectations. I love talking about her and with you guys. Awesome. So, thank you. Thank you. Ho hopefully, the first of many times. Thank you guys very all right. much. All right. Thank you guys. We'll talk to you later. Gosh. Have a good night. Captain Dallas, I'm back. Cargo and ship destroyed. I should reach the frontier in about six weeks. With a little luck, the network will pick me up. This is Ripley, last survivor of the Nostromo. Signing off. For more on Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, please visit perfectorganism.com. Perfect Organism is available for listen or download through Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Spotify. If you'd like to support the show, please visit perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Thank you.